All right. Well, we're in week two of the blessed life. The blessed life. Turn to the last book of the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament. Let me set this up. We need to talk more about to understand the history of the books and when and why they were written. And this is quite significant being the last book of the Old Testament. So remember, Ezra and Nehemiah have come back from Babylon already, rebuilt the temple and the wall. They're living back in God's place. But just because you're living back in God's place, you maybe gave your life to Jesus or the marriage is still together, doesn't mean everything's fixed, right? Doesn't mean you talk right or think right or act right or spend your money right or whatever. So the book of Malachi is a reformational book. It's to bring God's people back to him, not just geographically. You're in church. This is a good place to be. It's easier to get right with the Lord in your heart and mind in the land of Israel than it is in Babylon. Can I get an amen? God will give you grace in Babylon, but oh, get out of there whenever you can. Don't live in Egypt. Don't live in Babylon. Y'all with me? Y'all follow me on the Bible illustrations there. So they are back in God's place, and he wants to reform and move them. So Malachi chapter 1 is about returning to God in our faith. Malachi chapter 2 is about returning to God in our family. Malachi chapter 3 is about returning to God in our finances. Malachi chapter 4 is about God returning to us. And in fact, it will end with the great proclamation of Jesus, the picture of Jesus, the Messiah coming. Now, why it's important is that there is a prophecy in one of the minor prophets, not in Malachi. And it says this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a famine in the land, but not of bread and not of water. There's going to be a famine or the silent time, no word of the Lord, for about 400 years, which Malachi is going to end about 420 B.C., 420 years before Christ. So this is called the silent period in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this is the last words of the Lord between that silent period. Now we have some perspective about why that's important, isn't it? Think about people who have to live with the completed Old Testament, but no word of the Lord for 420 years. They're living on that bread and that manna that God has given them. And it sustains them, it will, until the Messiah arrives on the scene. Now we kind of understand this picture. Malachi 3, 6 through 10. This series is called The Blessed Life for a Reason. It's the blessed life, every area of our life. Verse uh, Malachi 3, excuse me, did I say 3, 6 through 10? For I am the Lord, I do not change. Why does it God change? Do you know why? Why doesn't he change? He's perfect. He's perfect. He cannot change. Hey, listen, I know you retired. You may just want to get right into theology. Just start reading and writing. <laughs> He's perfect. He cannot improve. He can't. There's nothing in him but perfect holiness. I am the Lord. I do not change. My perfection doesn't change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Praise God for his perfection. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances. This is an important word. Ordinances means ordinary behavior. That's where we get that term from. Ordinary behavior. I grew up with a military dad, and he used to tell me, SOP, son, SOP, son, all the time, SOP, son, 
If you're in the military, you know that means standard operating procedure all the time. And so he, God is telling his people, this is standard operating procedure, the ordinary things of life that Christians, that God followers do. All right, verse 7. Oh, sorry, yes. You have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. Now, remember, he's talking about four ways of returning. In our faith, in our family, in our finances, and then him returning to us. Not just here. We need to look at the whole book. Return to, to, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Tithe simply means a tenth. Offerings is anything above that. A goodwill or free will offering. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me, test me, your Bible may say, in this. Now in this, says the Lord of hosts, that's a military commanding term, host. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And then he goes on, I will rebuke the devourer and all this. This is one of the only places in the Bible we see the word test me or try me. So every week or every other week or month, whatever, Christians take a test. That's what the Bible says. We take a test every time we receive a paycheck, every time we receive whatever it is, our income, we take this test. Have y'all ever, some of you, this is a short time ago, or some of you, it's a long time ago, you ever walked into a schoolroom, everything's going good, the birds are chirping, it's a blue skies, they're letting school out early today, you sit down, everything's wonderful, your buddy leans over to you, or your friend, your lady friend, and she says, he says, are you ready? And sirens start going off in your head. And you say, are you ready for what? And they say, are you ready for the test? I mean, y'all ever forgot a test before? I did that one time. That's a horrible feeling. That's like, Lord, you can just come back now. I'm good. Just come back. (laughs) Every week, we, or month, however it is, we take a test. And we need to understand that in number one on your notes. Tithing is a test. Test me or try me in this. Tithing is a test. That is what it is. God never tempts. It is impossible for a perfect holy God to do that. He does test, try, and purify us. Let me give you many biblical examples. Remember, tithe means tenth, right? How many plagues were there in Egypt? Or you could say it like this. How many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? Ten. How many commandments are there? How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness in Numbers 14? Ten. How many times was Jacob wages changed by his father-in-law Laban? Just, that's a tough one. Ten. How many days was Daniel tested in the book of Daniel? Ten. How many virgins are tested in Matthew 25, the five wise and the five foolish? There's 10 of them. I want to show you 
this test as an illustration and a great one that I never connected before. Go to Genesis 31. Back to Jacob and Laban. Now remember, you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's the grandson. Jacob is going to leave. Remember, he's headed, leaves his father's house, headed to some relatives. Laban, his uncle. He can't find him right away. He's going all day. He gets, let me not get ahead of myself. Let me get, he gets there finally. He meets Rachel. But Laban is a, I tell you, he's a slick guy. He's a used car salesman. And he says, look, love you. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, He knows that Jacob is in love with Rachel. He says, work for me, and you can have her seven years. What happens? Y'all know the story. He works seven years, but he gets the older sister. Then he has to work another seven for the younger sister. So years and years have gone by. They have uh, grown. Jacob has been blessed by the Lord. Even though Laman is trying to keep his possessions, uh, Laman says, look, uh, Jacob comes and says, look, whatever spotted uh, animals, I'll take the spotted ones, you get everything else. Guess what? God blesses them, everything's spotted. He goes back, he changes, he goes, everything that's striped animals, I'll get the stripe, you take everything else. Then everything becomes striped. So it's a supernatural blessing. So let's pick up toward the end. They, get, go, they go back and forth and get into it multiple times, Jacob and his father-in-law. You ever got into it with your in? Okay, we're not going to have that conversation. <laughs> I'm in hot water already. Just barely past point one. Let's read this and see this story. Genesis 31. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and from what was our father's he has acquired all his wealth. Why are the sons mad? Jacob's cutting in on my inheritance. Mm-hmm. He's cutting in on it. We're not happy. Verse 2. And Jacob saw that the countenance of Laban, saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him before, as before. He loved him before until it was a money issue. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your father and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field. They got to they got to plan this on the outskirts to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. Note that statement. But the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. I have been faithful. I have had integrity. I've done right before God. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages. How many times? Ten. Now, let me ask you a question. You ever got into a bad business deal with somebody? Maybe a relative. You ever got swindled before? You ever got taken advantage of before? You ever said the boss said, hey, listen, we're going to raise this coming and it never came? This has happened to this man ten times. Ten times. God has still blessed him. He's still been multiplied. I know people who've had a bad business deal, they don't recover for it for 20 years, right? That's just life. Now watch this. But God did not allow him to hurt me. Hmm, I wonder why. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks born, they're speckled. And if he said thus, the streak shall be your wages, then all the flocks born were streaked. So God has taken 
away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at that time when the flocks conceived. <clears throat> oh, that's it. I got past my notes. Okay, so we see the picture there. Why in the world is Jacob the younger more blessed than Laban? Why even though 10 times this wealthy businessman, I mean, he knows business, he's got sons, he's got flocks, he's got herds, why is he shrinking and Jacob, a foreigner, he's not even with his family, his, 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 you know, his Abraham and stuff, why is he increasing? This doesn't make any sense. It does if you read a few chapters before. Now you need to know why he said the Lord was with me. You need to understand the life-changing event that propelled him to this unbelievable success. And it's found just a few verses before in Genesis 28, 16 through 22. Now, let me set this up. It's right before he gets to Laban and Rachel. He doesn't even know who Rachel is. He's never met her. He's walking all day. He's tired. He lays down and he, you know you're tired when your pillow is a rock. <laughs> so he says, but he, he laid down on his head against a rock. You're just exhausted. You're just like, I'm just going to lay on this rock. The reason he was so exhausted, remember, this is a nomadic land. It's wild. He's just trying to find a hole in the ground so someone doesn't kill him. You need to understand this picture. He's alone. That means he's vulnerable, right? One or better than two, right? Someone can watch your back. He's vulnerable. He lays down on the rock, and he has a dream. And in this dream, there's a ladder from earth to heaven, and angels are descending up and down on it. And he goes, oh, my, the Lord was in this place, and I did not know it. And not, angels are not the bigger deal. The bigger deal is God steps forward and said, I am God, the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And everywhere you're going and everything you see, I'm going to give you. Now let's pick it up now that we understand it. 28.16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put on his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. Remember, this is before the speckled, before the wise, before all the blessing, before he would be in the line and the seed of the Messiah. And he called the name of that place Bethel, because the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob, or the house of God, the house of bread, Bethel. Then Jacob set, made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, all he asked for was to not be a pauper. Is that right? He's asking for the basics so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Did he ask for flocks? Did he ask for wives and children and all that? Did he ask for all of that? No. He said, Lord, just take care of my needs. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely do what? There is the reason he was so blessed through his whole life. Even though Laban was after him, even though supernaturally God had to move and 
change the color of the spots on, on, on those animals. There is the reason right there. He didn't ask for it. But he said, God, whatever you give me, the tithe is yours. I'm just returning it to you. That's what a tithe is. You're not paying God. You're returning what's his. It's called redeeming. Everything that was in the Old Testament had to be redeemed. Every son, everything had to be redeemed because it's a picture of Jesus who redeemed us. It's a great gospel picture. There is the reason. I never connected those. All the blessing, all the supernatural with the animals and everything going on. It's like, why was that like that? There is the reason he was so blessed. That was the reason. All right, let's keep looking here back in Malachi. Or as the old Cajun pastor said, Meshat turned to Malachi. That's what I heard a cold Cajun say that one time. Malachi. (laughs) This is a two-way test. The Lord says, you test me and I'll test you. says, and try me in this, says the Lord. This word try means to purify like a metal. You see, he started off with, I am the Lord. I change not. Because he's saying, I'm the pure, perfect metal. And what I want to do, which is what tithing is for, is not a name and claim it. It's not the prosperity gospel. It's not, I'll give to get, I'll give to get, I'll give to get. God is not impressed with the revelation of I give to get. He's impressed with This person wants to be like me in purity. That's what it's about. Test me, try me. I want you to be like me. I want the metal, the stuff in you to be, to come from me and be like me. That's the try means to purify with a metal. And we know God is pure, holy, just, and perfect. Every week what I'm trying to do is teach this biblically. And then I want you to hear testimonies every week through this four-week series, and we do these series about every two years, from different members of the church about what God has done in their life. So this week I asked Dickie and Billy Joe to give a testimony. So I'd like them to come up. You got upset because I moved your mic, didn't you? Sorry, I'm not going to touch that holy thing anymore. (laughs) Y'all come right here in the middle, and just, like, I, y'all come right here, and I just asked him, I texted him this week, I said, hey, what has the Lord taught you about tithing? What has he shown you? What, it, what has been the product? So, go ahead. Well, I actually have two stories. My husband told me to tell both, and it's not exactly about tithing, but it's about giving of myself, actually. Tithing is easier for me, I think, because I just do it out of obedience, and, <laughs> and so it's done. But um, it's a little harder for me to give myself, and let me explain uh, this story kind of starts five years ago. My husband uh, loves people, and he invites people over all the time. He would um, probably talk to a turnip if it would talk back, and he he never has difficulty talking to people. He is I've never seen in all of our years of marriage an awkward moment him talking to people. He loves people. 
and I, um, I love people too, I do. I just, it takes a lot more energy for me. <laughs> and, um, and there's a lot more awkward moments, I think. So, um, and I work, you know, with children. I work in a middle school and I pour into them all week and so I'm exhausted by the weekend. And, and especially at this time, you know, we had a obligation every weekend as well. So he had invited somebody over, which he is known to do on the spur of the moment. And um, he told me when we got home from church, he said, hey, you know, I invited my friend Dave over. And, and I became livid because my husband doesn't notice if there's like a, you know, an inch of dust and a sock that's been sitting on, you know, the floor for three weeks. He just, he doesn't care. People it's called, can come it's over. called manhood. I'm yes. sorry. <laughs> He's okay with that. I want it clean. <laughs> I want to put out my good china. Yeah. I want to think about it. And, and it takes energy. So before, during, and after. So um, I, I kind of I, I wasn't talking in this soothing tone to him. And it, it probably was a little louder than right now. And I'm pretty sure I said some ugly things. And <laughs> I was in the middle of just tearing into my sweet husband at the kitchen. And I remember it's the kitchen because I saw in the corner of my eye something. And I look, and there was Dave, who he had invited. <laughs> And so, yes, you can imagine. And so, oh, and Dave, you, you don't know Dave. He's a very, he's still our friend, unbelievably. And he, uh, he's so gentle and so kind. And he sneaks into my house and he folds my laundry, just so you know. So um, this is how kind Dave is. So Dave saw me and I saw him and then he turned around and he left. And oh, I felt so horrible. And I said the prayer that I, I so often do. I, of course, repented and I said I was sorry. And then I said, God, give everybody around me selective amnesia, please. Just please. <laughs> and you laugh. But if you know me um, and you like me, it's because I prayed that over you. <laughs> I have. It's a, it's a prayer God hears often from me. So um, <clears throat> anyway, I, I, I told God, I said, God, if you could just give them amnesia and just let Dave forget that that happened, then then I will be a lot more giving. I'm just, you know what? If somebody comes over, I'm just going to open my house. I don't care what it looks like. And, and I, will, I will give of myself. And, and I won't let this happen again because, you know. And, and as it turns out, and I'm sure Dave would be okay with us telling you this, he was going through a troubling time. So, of course, you know, when you make a deal with God and you say, God, I'll do this, <laughs> he, he tests you on that. <laughs> so, so Dave came to live with us for six months. <laughs> And then Erin came to live with us for two years and Herba for two years. And um, so I did open up my house. And my brother, yes, and your brother-in-law, my brother. I'm just saying that our house has had house guests since then. It really has. And, um, and you're, so you're sitting there probably, if you're me, I'd be sitting there going, mm -hmm, where's the blessing there? <laughs> Where? <laughs> but there, let me just tell you, about five years ago, at the same time that this had happened, I had been praying fervently because I looked around and I know we have, you know, friends, but, but I didn't have any dear friends. Like I had, I, I, my family fills that for me. You know, I don't have any friends that I can just, you know, open up and knows everything about my life. And, and I was like, God, I need a, a really close friend. And of course, um, you know, I wasn't inviting people over and, and being transparent in front of them. So of course I didn't, but I will say, um, October 4th was my birthday last month, and my dear friend Herba, who's been living with me for two years, because nobody can live with you for two years without seeing every piece of you, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. She, uh, and she is my dear friend now, um, where she was not before, she was just a friend. She, um, she, you know, she put next to where she knew I'd be making my coffee in the morning, and she called me and she said, look, 
it's your birthday, happy birthday, but I want you to read that card. I don't want you to just gloss over it, I want you to read it. And she said, because it means something. And, and I won't tell you everything the card said, but I will tell you that it's on my desk at school and, and it says, underneath forever friend there is a line and that means something to me. And so there is the incredible blessing in that, is that here is this person that knows me and, and loves me even so, uh, that's outside of family. That's my first story. If I'm going on too long, do this. But you can give me a, you give me a, but you can't do that. So anyway, um, <laughs> he'd rub his nose raw. So, um, okay, so the second story is my husband and I had been, um, uh, we'd been working in children's church at our other church, which is a very large church, for many years, both services. And we um, worked very hard. You know, I told you I, I worked, I'm a choir director during, you know, uh, the school year. And, and so um, even during the, you know, the weekdays, I was thinking about, you know, what we were going to teach because they had no curriculum for us. And he is uh, adamant about teaching children the Bible stories, not just, you know, be good for God. So, so we, we were writing these curriculums and, and, and actually had this structure and we, you know, circle up time and then, you know, story time and then, and then we would have some sort of game that would go with it. And he would always write a, um, a piece of music. He would compose a piece of music and play it on the guitar and we teach it to the children. And I would take the time to recompose it so that it would four-year-old could sing it. So, <laughs> so um, anyway, it, it took a lot of energy and time, and um, I was getting burnt out, and some other things had happened. And I'll just tell you, at the end of that season, um, I was I was kind of bitter, and and a little um, disheartened. And I was thinking, well, when when it was all said and done, and actually now we're here, and and I I looked back at it, and I and this was just recent. Again, that happened long ago, like the other thing, but this re revelation that God gave me was just recent. Um, so, but I was, I'll just be transparent with you. I was like, oh, you know what? We were just babysitters. Anybody could have done that. Why did we spend so much time on that? That was just so exhausting. And, and you know, we had like 64-year-olds at one time. It's like herding cats. And I was like, wow. And, 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 and really, you know, they just needed a warm body in there to make sure nobody bit each other. Why did we go through all that? And, it was exhausting, and 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 four-year-olds, what do they remember anyway, right? They're four. Do I remember when I was four? So I was talking about that children's church experience with him a few months ago, and and kind of my bad taste in my mouth about children's church, and um, I'm sorry, I, I've been with the children. I like the children here. I enjoy it. <laughs> it's not the same. Not the same. <laughs> okay, so, but I was, I was going over that in my head, well, and thinking, you know, they don't even remember. And um, uh, so I, I teach choir. So I was, um, my sixth graders were leaving class one day, going to lunch. And one of my students, Mason, was coming in during my lunchtime so we could work on our honor choir piece, which is called Witness. It has a story of Nicodemus in it. And this is a little Christian boy I know. His parents go to Our Savior's Church. So he was asking me a question about the lyrics, actually, and the uh, dynamics, or I can't even recall, but we were kind of talking about that while my sixth graders are walking out. We're about to rehearse. And <coughs> anyway, I'm having this conversation with Mason, and I see at the corner of my eye, one of my little girls is hanging back, hanging back, and she's not going on to lunch, sixth grade lunch. And so, you know, there's a pause with me talking to Mason and I at the piano, and I said, Ellie, is there something you need? And, and Ellie said, you and your husband taught me Bible stories in church. <laughs> 
Now, this is a sixth grader. We taught her when she was four years old. But, but that moment just took my breath away because um, she's been sitting in my room for two years. I had no idea. And she didn't, she didn't mention it then, probably until then, because, you know, children are scared to mention God or Jesus Christ. And, and she probably saw me talking to Mason about it. But it was almost like a confirmation from God. He just, like, winked at me and said, oh, no, no, you know, this child remembers. It, it, it made a difference. So, anyway, those are my two stories about giving of myself and, and the blessing that, uh, that followed. Yeah, we never know what comes back when we give, do we? What do we got, about eight seconds left, Pastor? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, he told me Tobo. You said Tobo. Man, what a, what a simple and fundamental concept. And where, where does the concept of giving come from, right? It's from the heart of the most extra, extravagant, wildest giver you can ever imagine, you know, who literally laid his life down and said, I'm going to, you know, crucify my innocent, pure, royal body for a bunch of heathen in Lafayette, Louisiana, so I can bring them into my family and sit them at my table and feed them, make them a child of you know, in, in, our, in our kingdom. So as we become more giving, actually, obviously, we're becoming more like Christ. Man, how about them LSU Tigers, though, huh? <laughs> <laughs> they gave everything they had. Left it all out on the field. I tried to give. I tried to give some advice to Coach Saban. 26, 26 seconds left in the first half. And my wife will testify, this is true. She was in the other room, but I'm sometimes a little forceful when I'm communicating with the TV set. I said, Nick, take a knee. God is my witness. I said, Nick, take a knee. Did he listen? Oh, he had that, excuse me, he's left-handed. Had that boy throw a pass. <laughs> LSU intercepted, went down and scored again with 11 seconds. But so that's one testimony on giving, right? That's one. That's one. No, uh, you know, churches handle giving in wildly different ways. I was literally in a camp meeting in, uh, visiting, and the pastor said, um, God is telling somebody in this building, to give $10,000 to this ministry. And we're going to pray until you hear the voice of God. And they locked all the doors. Two hours later, some poor guy got up to go to the bathroom. He said, ushers, get him. <laughs> no, no, but they literally, you know, after a couple of minutes, a guy stood up and said, ah, you know, let's have a round of applause. And then, and then he said, uh, now there's other people. God have been, God's been speaking to you about giving $5,000. And uh, so I was literally standing there somewhat taken aback, and most of you, well, some of you might not know, we actually have a, a little box in the back here. You're not berated or hassled or provoked. It's just you're invited to, uh, we're all invited to give, to be givers. So churches handle it different. You know, um, we see a, an example that kind of speaks to, to my heart, because I'm not, a, I'm not like a a giver by nature. There's some people in here, you're just, you would give the shirt off your back. I don't really have much to say to you. You have a lot more to say to me about being generous. But, you know, my message for people who are like me, who are not givers by nature, it comes out of John chapter 2, when Jesus was at a wedding and his mama must have been involved in 
She must have known the people because she was in the back, you know, making everything happen. And they ran out of wine, and she told the servants, whatever my son Jesus tells you to do, just do it. Just do it. And that's really, if, you, if you're kind of like me, you don't want to agonize and debate in your mind, you know, all the reasons that you shouldn't give, or just do it. Just make it simple. Because if, if I was going to let my carnal nature get involved, and, and my carnal nature does rise up about every six months or so, maybe, or just a little bit, <laughs> maybe every six minutes. But no, I mean, I would be thinking things like, well, you're not going to put me under the law, or... Man, I got things to do with my money. Or what are they doing with my money up in that church anyway? You know, I, I could have come up with all kind of reasons. And obviously, God has an answer for every objection to tithing and giving. But instead of going through all that exercise, I just, I just do it. And that's a simple, you know, that's, I think, the simple command. There was, you know, there was a field of psychology that said, man, you got to get up inside of people's minds and find out what happened to their to them when they were a child and what their daddy did and what their mama did and, and work on their psychology so they can start behaving right. But then there was another psychologist named Skinner that said, just get them to do the right thing. Whatever it takes, if they start, if you do the right thing, you're going to eventually change your whole heart. So if you don't feel like you're a giver by heart, like me, just do it anyway. And God will make us. You know, this church, I feel strongly this is a church that's going to have great impact. We're already having impact. We're going to have more. But you could say, you could make two equivalent statements. We're a church that has impact. We're a church that gives. That's saying the same thing. Because whatever we give to God, it's going to be multiplied. It's going to be blessed. And we're going to be blessed. Did anybody here have a good night's sleep last night? I mean, just a good night's sleep is such a blessing. If you didn't have a good night's sleep last night, I pray that God gives you a good night's sleep tonight because that right there is one incredible blessing in so many more ways that he blesses us because we're givers. All right. Good job. It's so great to hear that God is moving in people, not about money. Again, this is the blessed life. He wants to purify and just make you more like him. Let's finish up here and run through this. Number two on your notes, tithing is biblical. It's a test. It's biblical. 400 years before the law, Genesis 14, 18 to 20, we know that uh, Abraham tied to Melchizedek. I know there's a lot of debate about who Melchizedek is. To me, it, it seems simple. Without beginning, without end, that's God. There's only one without beginning, without end. Way before the law, he gave to Melchizedek. And in fact, it says he he gave of all of his substance to Melchizedek. So one, tithing is biblical. We need to understand that. Is tithing in the New Testament? Yes. Ma yes, it is. Matthew 23, 23. Let's put that on the screen. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus speaking to people who are highly analytical and struggling and stuff. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and uh, nice and cumin. They even tithe on their spices. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty finicky. And you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Justice and mercy and faith is much more important than cumin. These you ought to have done, what does the last word say there? Without leaving the other undone. You should be concerned about tithing too. Don't leave the other 
undone. And that's a New Testament reference. The other New Testament reference that seals it um, for me is Hebrews 7, 8. Hebrews 7, 8, you'll need to study Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, all of the Hebrews is phenomenal. Here mortal men receive tithes, the, bo- the box in the back or whatever. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them. And what does your tithe do? I serve the living God. It's a worship. It's a testimony who, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. I serve the living God. And lastly, tithing is a blessing. Number three, tithing is a blessing. Let me just show you a quick, let me just read this story and then we'll um, get to where we need to get to close. Tithing is a blessing. Second Chronicles 31, 4 through 10. Again, a reformation time, a time that there needs to be change and reform. Second Chronicles 31, 10, the godly King Hezekiah. It says, moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought into abundance the first fruits, or that's the tithe, the first of, the first fruits of grain, of wine, of oil, of honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the children of Israel and Judah, who dwelt in the city of Judah, brought the tithe of the oxen and the sheep, also the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God, they laid up in heaps. In the third month, they began laying them in heaps, and they finished in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Then Hezekiah questioned the priest and the Levites concerning the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zodok, Zadok, answered and said to him, Since the people began to bring the offering into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left, for the Lord has blessed his people, and what is left is a great abundance. Tithing, giving is a blessing. Is it better to give than receive? Is that what Jesus said? Our attitude, our nature as Christians is giving. It's a wonderful testimony, Billy Joe, that God is teaching you to be a giver in an area you had closed off. And I didn't want to do that. And he moved in your life like that. Tithing, giving is a blessing. If we go back to Malachi, remember, we just, people always focus on Malachi chapter 3. We need to see the whole thing, as we always need to look at the whole thing in the Bible. I want to read the rest of Malachi to you and how Malachi ends. I'm just going to read, put the second scripture there, Malachi chapter 4. Malachi 4.4. 4. He goes, talks about Jesus. Remember the law of Moses. That's, we read a lot of the law of Moses. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in, Hor- in Horeb for, Israel, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah, John John the Baptist, the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a, what is the last word in the Old Testament? 
what is the last word when the, the, the season of the Old Testament and the 420 years of silence, what is the last word? What's the opposite of curse? He wants you to be blessed and he wants you to be a blessing. He said, you're going to be the opposite of that. You're the blessed people. This is the blessed life. And he ends it with, listen, you're the opposite of that. I don't want you to be cursed. I want you to be blessed in all that you do. You can get that video ready. I want to end with this video. Um, doc, a few years ago, I started working on my, my master's. Uh, Dr. Mark Rutland was a pastor, Methodist pastor for over 20 years, um, pastor of a megachurch. He, he um, was the president of two universities, and people wait in line just like megachurches to have his advice and counsel. He's in his 70s now. He's an older man. None of that matters. None of that moves you. Know, you. He loves God. He's wise, he's full of wisdom, and you always want Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in your life. This church, we always have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You better have all three or you're, not un- you're unhealthy spiritually. And so I'm look- I look for Abrahams in my life. I look for Isaacs in my life, and I say, Lord, let me bless Jacobs. So this is a video of Dr. Mark Rutland speaking at a church about how God changed his life in giving, so you just understand who he is. All right, go ahead. Let me tell you where my whole understanding of giving changed. A little boy changed it. It changed everything in my life. I, uh, in 1975, I was pastoring a Methodist church. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I began to get invitations to travel all around and preach. Uh, I don't think it was that I was that good of a preacher. It was nobody had ever seen a spirit-filled Methodist preacher. And the, the, the novelty, you know, they just wanted to see me. And uh, so... There was a kid in my church. We were childless at that point, and there was a kid in the church whose father was a very cruel alcoholic, very mean. And um, I used to take Jimmy with me when it was within driving distance. Obviously not when I spent the night. In in the current litigious atmosphere, I wouldn't do this at all, but it was an innocent America in those days. So he loved to go with me. It was great fun. The ladies in the church would love on him. If there was a church supper, they'd ply him with banana pudding and He'd sit on the front row in the worship service, usually fell asleep, and then I'd take him home and give him back to his mother. And so one night I went to pick him up, and he got in. He was quiet, his head down. I said, now, Jimmy, were things bad at the house tonight? No, he said, I'm all right. I said, I've told you, if you'll call me on these things, I'll call the police. We're, we're, we're going to get this. He said, it's not that. He's not even home. So we drove a little while longer, and I said, Jimmy, what's the matter? He said, now, Pastor, I love to go with you to these revivals, and I have a good time. But he said, I need to tell you something. There's something that I hate. And I said, what is it? He said, I don't like the offering. I said, well, Jimmy, you're actually in the majority on that. That's, uh... <laughs> but I said, why, why don't you like the offering? And he looked down, and he was embarrassed. And he said, I'll tell you why, because I ain't never got nothing to give. And I said, oh, Jimmy, that's on me. That's, that is my fault. That's on me. Will you forgive me? And I appreciate it. The only thing I had in my pocket was a $20 bill. I said, here, the $20 bill. If you want to, you can give the whole thing in the offering tonight. You'd have thought I gave that child a million dollars to spend on himself. He was so excited. 
He sat in the front row. It was in the old days, a pastor and I sat up here. Remember when the preacher used to sit up here in the big chairs, your feet wouldn't touch the ground or anything? <laughs> and we're sitting up here, and Jimmy's in the front row, and he's got that $20 bill out. He is so excited to serve. As you know, it's a Methodist service. and sing two or three hymns, and it's kind of going along. And, but Jimmy's sitting on the front row with that $20 bill. He was excitement just building like this and he stuffed it in his shirt collar like that and then he rolled it up and put it behind his ear and then he pretended to smoke it and he just he was just he was just getting more and more like this you know and and finally the poor little Methodist preacher got up and he said well if the ushers will come forward it's time for the evening offering and Jimmy said yay and I said that's it that's it that's what God wants. He wants to say, to say, oh God, it's the offering. Yay. Let me pray for you. You'll bow your heads and close your eyes. Every All head right. bowed and every eye closed. You can turn it down. It's, he's a great storyteller. And now, now remember, I have to quantify. He's been in charge of multi-million dollar campuses for years and years. I mean, multi-million dollar universities. And he said, everything I learned about giving, I learned from Jimmy. Everything I learned, he said it right at the beginning. You may not have heard it. Everything I learned about giving, I learned from Jimmy. Let's stand up. I encourage you in your life. To, to make a decision. It was easy for me because I, mom said, look, this is the word of God. This is what we're doing. We're going to obey it. And then when I got about 16, I started working at McDonald's. And I said, well, there's the word of God. I guess I'm just going to obey it. I, I was, even I didn't even care about serving the Lord that much. I didn't surrender yet. I, I was just too afraid to disobey. You know? I, I look back on the last 25 years and I say, oh, God, never would have been able to be here never experienced your blessings, never had the joy of giving, the joy of it, unless I had surrendered this to you and trusted you and obeyed your word. So just with a couple minutes left, just you spend a couple times, a couple minutes with Jesus. Just let him speak to you. Let him change your heart. He's the God who changes hearts, not just when you're young, throughout your whole life. He was moving in Abraham's heart late in life. He was moving in Jacob's heart, middle age, late in life. Oh, he's a God who's involved in your whole life. It doesn't matter what season you're in. Just let him speak to you. Know the joy of surrender and the joy of giving. So we're going to sing this song as our proclamation. As you just spend some time with the Lord. And when you can sing it, sing it with all your heart. Just you, you. 
lift our hands and feel the joy of surrender. Lord, we surrender to you. It is one of the greatest joys to throw yourself fully into the hands of God. If you never have, you'll never even fully understand Christianity. Oh, throw yourself into the hands of God, the loving hands of the Father. Oh, it's so good to do. Lord, we surrender to you individually, as a married couple, as business owners. Lord, young and old, we surrender to you all of our life, all of our time, our talent, our resources. We happily give it to you. It's yours anyways. You own everything. For all things are made by you and for you. And nothing is made that was made that's not yours. So thank you, Lord, for the joy of surrender, for the joy of giving, for the joy of tithing. Thank you that you are moving us as a church, moving us as a church in this way together so we can be a greater blessing, so we can go go and move on to the next season you have for us. Lord, so we can be more influential in your kingdom and for your glory and be a greater light, Lord. And you want us to move in unity, for we don't move in disunity. So I thank you that you're making us one in this area so we can move forward for the kingdom of God, for the glory of his name, for the one worthy of all honor and all praise. His name is Jesus. And everyone said amen and amen. Now praise him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Oh, you're so good to us, Lord. Oh, we love you, God. Oh, just we love you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You guys have a great day. God bless you. I am not skilled to understand. Stands one